have with me my wife Melissa and I believe Louisa Kim. Actually, it's Louisa Kim Balfu, but the memo, she's Kimmy, so that's how that nickname stuck. Anyway, uh, we're happy to be with you tonight, and uh, we've been serving in Cuba for a number of years, and we, before that, were church planners in Western Canada, and a lot of things that we were able to do in Western Canada and starting a church, we we started... Uh, we started doing the only thing we knew how to do, and that was knocking on doors. And sometimes it was 20 degrees below zero. Actually, that would be uh, Celsius. It wasn't that cold Fahrenheit. We never, I don't think, knocked on doors 20 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. But 20 degrees below zero Celsius is still a little below zero Fahrenheit. But anyway, I digress. Um, lots of stuff that we did in Canada. We rented a place and... We had a great focus on, uh, uh, you know, trying to get a, a building in those early days, an adequate place to have services. And, and uh, so we, we, we did the things, you know, we, we rented, we bought chairs, we bought songbooks, uh, maybe had those donated to us, I don't know. We, we got to Cuba, fast forward several years, we got to Cuba. We couldn't do any of those things, not openly. In fact, we weren't even supposed to be there. Um, and we couldn't get religious visas back in those times. Anyway, things finally did change a little bit for us. Cuba's very controlled still. But uh, we're thankful that the Lord has allowed us to have some longevity there. And the verse came to mind that I quoted up there, Second Timothy chapter two and verse two. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou a faithful man who should be able to teach others also. There are four generations in that verse. Paul who taught Timothy, Timothy was to teach faithful men who were to teach others also. Aren't you glad tonight that somebody in every generation has been faithful to preach the gospel, disciple, and it finally got to your house? Amen. And so, uh, enjoyed so much uh, dinner tonight with Pastor. I'm kind of feeling bad for him. His family's in Peru, and I know he's, he's missing them. Probably a little jet-lagged as well. And, uh, but uh, we had a great time of fellowship and, and heard a little bit about their story. And uh, my, it's wonderful. And uh, I do want to thank this church. I, I, near as I can figure, I believe I was here sometime... I'm going to say it was probably the winter of 2007. It was right after the first of the year. I don't know. Did you have missions conferences in February maybe? Back then? March? Could have been March. It was during about that time, I think, that this church took us on for support. And uh, so anyway, this is my wife's first time here. And it's been a long time since I've been here. But uh, we have prayed for you and we appreciate your support and your prayers. You know, missionaries couldn't go if they didn't have someone sinned. Let that sink in. God's only... I'll get to this in just a minute. I'm going to preach from Exodus chapter 9 and I'll probably go all over the place. But uh, you can find in your Bibles Exodus chapter 9. But you understand that... Uh, most countries, missionaries can't go and work jobs in and be bivocational. And so, and, and, and God has chosen the New Testament church as His sending agent, if you will. Um, 
He's given the responsibility of doing the Great Commission to the churches. Are you all with me on that? Um, God only has one mission. Now think about this. God only has, if He only has one mission, and it's the Great Commission, and that's what I believe. I'm going to say something that's rather hard, but I know that I need to let you out on time, and I promised the pastor I would do that. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to just cut to the chase. If God only has one mission, and I'm not involved in what is God's mission, then how can I possibly say that I'm right with God? Now, that's kind of tough. You might expect a missionary to say something like that. But I want us to start thinking a little differently that we all need to be involved in mission because God only has one mission. And that's to become globally known by all peoples. Do you know that half the world tonight sits in darkness? They don't even know that God has a Son. They don't have a... a, Uh, one page of Scripture in their heart language. And yet, we have it. We have it all. And we've had it for a long time. And folks, that ought to bother us that we have and so many don't. And God wants to be famous. He wants to be known. And we'll see that in just a moment. I'm going to show you that. And so, that's God's mission. And I'd believe this. I wouldn't support a missionary that didn't give to missions. I also believe that every missionary, not only should he give, I believe that every person who gives should also go. Now, some of us will go further than others. But all of us have an obligation to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may go to the public school. You may go work for GM. I I don't know what's here, but um, wherever you are, you're to be a witness. And we're part of the team. And Melissa and I couldn't minister in Cuba and other places that we're trying to get into. We couldn't do that without folks that work jobs or on fixed incomes, and sacrifice, and do without without some things sometimes that they probably would really like to have, but instead they give their mission offering so that people like us can go a little further. Amen? But we couldn't do it without you. And so, sometimes we're in churches and people say, boy, missionaries are our heroes. they are kind of mine too, but not necessarily. I know, I know a lot of them, amen. You know who's my heroes? People like you. They understand your place. You're part of the team. And no one's any more important necessarily than someone else as long as we're doing what God wants us to do. Someone said, not everyone is called to go to the foreign field. But every believer should struggle with the possibility. Our giving should never be an excuse for not going. Because there's so many places, so many places that we could go where there's need. And so we should struggle with that. 
Someone else said the call to stay ought to be just as real as the call to go. Well, have one of our prayer cards that doesn't say Cuba on it because we don't want to be on any social media and we don't promote Cuba. And plus, we're teaching the Cubans that they need to go to other countries too. Just as much their responsibility to evangelize as it is a U.S. American. Amen? And so, we're working on, uh, in September, Lord willing, we're going to uh, Colombia, Brazil, and the Peruvian border in the Amazon Basin. There are 56 unreached people groups in Colombia alone. And uh, Lord willing, I'll be taking uh, some Cuban fellows with me. And we'll be teaching for a couple of weeks modules over um, probably two or three or four different classes that we'll be offering for our Bible Institute. And we'll be helping to train and prepare men that they call themselves river pastors. They're bivocational. And they'll go into the jungles and they'll have contact and they'll have opportunities to, 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 to win souls and to disciple and to plant churches with people that we'll never even ever have the opportunity to come in contact with. We ask that you might pray about that. Our ministry, we've called it Taino. The Taino were the first inhabitants of Cuba. And uh, you can read about that. Have one of our brochures at the back there. If you have any questions, I'll try to answer them for you as well. And if I don't know the answer, I'll either consult Melissa and she can give you the correct answer or I'll make something up. Amen. But thank you for having us. It's so good to be with you. Exodus chapter 9. Here, Moses is being instructed by God to tell, to give a message to Pharaoh. And so let's look at it. Exodus chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Well, verse 13. Let's go read verse 13. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 13. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon the people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, when I read my Bible and I see phrases like that, my antennas go up. Okay? So, right there it is. He says, uh, Pharaoh, I'm going to do everything that I'm going to do to you, all these plagues and everything, so that you know that there's nobody else like me in all the earth. And then he continues, For now I will stretch out my hand, that I might, that I might smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed, for this cause, have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Would you, would you underline at least in your heart this phrase, that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. That's God's desire, is to be known in all the earth. Let's bow our heads and make our prayer. Father in heaven, thank you tonight for the Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd meet with us. Thank you for what we've already enjoyed here tonight. And we can say it's been profitable to be in your house already. Lord, I pray that you bless your word. And I pray, Lord, that uh, um, it might be received not only by these folks, but by me obediently, that we might seek to do whatever you would speak to our heart about. 
And Father, we love you. Thank you for the White Oak Baptist Church. Pray that you bless the pastor. Pray that you bless his family that remain behind in Peru. I pray, Lord, that uh, you watch over them, care for them. And I pray that this church might become even more globally significant. Thank you for the reach that it has, Lord. And I pray that you continue to bless and supply. And we love you and thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our objective tonight is to see that God has a global mission. He's always had a mission. You know, the Great Commission didn't always, didn't, didn't, didn't just one day suddenly occur to God. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to send disciples out and, and, uh, typically if I were to ask you your favorite Great Commission verses, why a lot of people go to Matthew, uh, 28, 18 to 20, and, uh, Mark, uh, 16, and, and, uh, Luke, uh, chapter 24, and John chapter 20, and Acts 1 8. But it's always been part of God's plan. God has a mission that His name be glorified in all the earth. And we're talking about names. According to Forbes magazine in 2016, the following brands were the most recognized names throughout the entire world. I mean, we're talking about names that uh, just about anywhere they would recognize some of these names like Apple, Google, Microsoft, Coca-Cola, Facebook, Toyota, IBM, Disney, McDonald's, and General Electric. And we talk about Coca-Cola. It's a household name. And with the exception of a few remote backwaters or stubbornly uh, communist countries, you're going to find Coca-Cola just about everywhere. It's a thriving worldwide phenomena for more than 125 years now. And they've been getting the message out. Coca-Cola. There's a classic ad in the... Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta, Georgia. I, I guess some of you probably didn't know that there was a Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta, Georgia. But anyway, there's a, a classic Coca-Cola poster there. And you may have seen the pose if, you, if you're as old as I am. Hardly anybody is, but there were several hands grasping a thick green glass bottle of Coca-Cola in a celebratory toast. But the hands are all ethnically different. And they're clutching the green glass bottle. And they have distinct clothing as well from different parts of the world. And the caption at the bottom of the poster captures the thought or completes the thought. It says, to the community, to the country, to the world. Coca-Cola became a household name in many parts and most parts of the world because those early on in its foundations saw the importance of getting that name out to every community, every nation, and into every language. Now, in the Bible, names always mean something. It's, a, it's always a good study to study names. I'll give you some examples. Uh, you know, the name Abijah means God is his father. Elijah means, my God is Yahweh. Jonathan means, gift of Yahweh. So, the importance of the name of God, it was very important to the Israelites, the name of God. It was so important that they incorporated it many times into the name of their children. And so, we see here in Exodus chapter 9, in verses 14 to 16, that Yahweh, or Jehovah God, presents Himself as the God who wills to be known. 
He said in verse 14, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Verse 16, he says, for this cause have I raised thee up, that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. The name Yahweh, or Jehovah, is the personal name for God. It occurs more than 5,300 times in the Old Testament. It means God who is active. God who is the self-existent one. I am that I am. He appeared to the patriarchs and He appeared to Moses as Yahweh in a much deeper sense than He even did uh, to Moses' predecessors. But he, He tells Moses who He is. Moses says, Whom shall I say hath sent Me? And God says, tell them that I am, that I am the self-existing one. Every time you see the word Lord or Lord God or God in all capital letters, it is the name, the Hebrew name, Yahweh. Now, it is this drive that to be known that God communicates to us in everything that He does. It's His mission. It's His focus. And church, we exist because of mission. Let us understand that God only has one mission. And He gave that mission to the local church to witness for Him. To make Him globally known. And that needs to be our focus. Can I say this? It's the only excuse that White Oak Baptist Church has for existence. Mission. And I think the goal has to be the uttermost. Because there's many places where He's not known yet. Certainly, we care about our Jerusalem. And we can't quit focusing on our Jerusalem, but we must focus on our Judea and Samaria and our uttermost. The place where Christ is not named. God communicates this drive to be known in everything that He did. He, he communicated it to us in creation. In Revelation. Can I tell you, this is a book about mission. Search it out. He told Abraham, he said, I'll make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. So it wasn't something that God just thought up this neat idea, you know, at the, um, at the end of His ministry on earth. Can I tell you, the Gentiles were always a part of God's plan as He makes Himself known to them in the Exodus as well. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 20 and 21, uh, it says this, it says, um, He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and cattle flee into the houses. Well, their servants and their cattle were spared when God sent the hail if they obeyed, even though they were part of, even though they were part of Pharaoh's household, even though they were Egyptians. If you go to chapter 12 and verse 38, Exodus 12:38, you'll see again here Gentiles are mentioned. It says a mixed multitude went up also with them. They're exiting Egypt 
with people that were part of a mixed multitude. Who were they? Well, they were Gentiles. And it says, And they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. And, uh, well, anyway, uh, verse 48, same chapter. It said, uh, And when a stranger... Who are the strangers? Well, they're non-Jews. They're Gentiles. It says, And when the stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Now get this, verse 49. Only one law, or one law, one law shall be to him that is home-born, and to the stranger that sojourneth among you. In other words, they were to come under the same law. Jews, Gentiles. And so, they were included. Now, if you go with me to Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6, we have God's mission statement. Here God says in Exodus chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you, all caps, Yahweh, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Now understand, they've been, the, the sons of Jacob have been in Egypt for over 400 years now. And they don't know God. They know what they've learned in, in Egypt, but they really don't know Yahweh. God wants, to, God wants to reveal Himself. And here's what He tells them He's going to do. He said, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. Can I tell you, God promised to do three things for them. The first one here is to liberate them from Egyptian bondage, from the Egyptian yoke, the yoke literally of Satan. Number two, if you look at verse 7, And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Would you underline that? And ye shall know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God. Now, I don't think it's strange at all. You know, the first commandment God gives them in the law is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he says over and over in Isaiah, he says, I am the Lord, and there's none else in the, in the, in the Jewish, in the Hebrew Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. One God. Of course, we know also that Jesus Christ fulfills all the requirements to be Yahweh. And here we see God promise to liberate them from under the yoke of Satan. And He promises in verse 7, I will take you to be for me a people, and I will be your God. He promises to enter into a covenant relationship with Him. You'll be my people. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power, even to them believe His name, even to them gave He the power to be what? Be called the sons of God. Amen. To make them His people. And then thirdly, we see in verse 8, And I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. The third thing that He promises them here in His mission statement 
is that He's going to bring them to a land that He's promised to their forefathers. In other words, He's going to bring them to a place of rest. Does all that sound kind of familiar? God's promised that He will deliver us from the yoke of Satan. God's promised to enter into a covenant relationship with us, to make us His, His children, and then He promises to bring us to a place of rest with Him. That's pretty good, isn't it? Amen? You think about it. The God that created everything, the only living and true God. Well, i got to tell you a little bit more before we quit, if I... If I can, can I tell you that the only thing that the Jewish people, the, the, the Israelites were going to, to have to do is they were going to have to learn about Yahweh. They were going to learn some lessons. One is that Yahweh is incomparable. He said in, in Exodus 15, verse 11, he said this, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, Yahweh among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Well, the answer is rather rhetorical. The answer is that there's nobody. God proved Him superior to all the gods of Egypt. Every one of those ten plagues was against some Egyptian deity. God was superior and then i got to tell you, they would also learn that Yahweh is king and that He would reign forever. In chapter 15 and verse 18, it says, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. Can I tell you, that's the first time in the Bible that it speaks of, of God reigning. Well, you can follow it out. It's not the last time. But they were going to learn that God is a monarch... He is the king of kings, and Yahweh's reign against other monarchs is very noteworthy because of the following reason. Yahweh is a compassionate king. God's a compassionate God. Oh, how He loves me. He's an advocate for the weak and the oppressed. We don't have time to go there, but over in Deuteronomy, it talks about that, you know, that they were not to afflict the widow and the orphan, and that God was going to have compassion on the widow and the orphan, and on the poor and the needy. He's an advocate for the weak and oppressed. That wasn't like other monarchs up to this point in time. And then finally, they would learn over in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 39. Let me read one verse there. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 39. It says, Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and upon the earth. There is none else. Yahweh is unique. Now, let me give you two more points really carefully. First of all, Yahweh is a God who wills to be known. Number two, Yahweh acts for the sake of His own name and for His own glory. You know, if you were God, who else would you vote for? If God were to vote for anybody besides Himself, if it were an election, and God didn't vote for God, He'd be an idolater just like every other false god. It's not wrong for God to demand our worship because He is worthy. And one day, that's what we're going to do throughout eternity. 
is we're going to worship Him. People from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. Ethnos. The word where we get other words like ethnic group. And so, we could follow this this trail of God said, well, I didn't destroy you when you built a golden calf in the wilderness. And the reason I didn't do it is because of the reputation of my name. He said, I allowed you to come into the land that I promised to your forefathers. And the reason I did that is to promote my name. I allowed you to go into exile after centuries of warnings and sending prophets. I allowed you finally to go into exile because I had pity on my holy name. Ezekiel chapter 20. In fact, if you go over there in 1 John, and I don't have the verse right now, but in 1 John, it even tells us that He saved us for His name's sake. God does what He does for the sake of His name. He wants to be globally known, and He does what He does for the sake of His own name, and He acts for His own glory. In Exodus, in expansion, and even in exile, in judgment, God will be glorified. Last thing. Yahweh entrusts His message of who He is to His people as a witness to all peoples. Isaiah 43, verses 9 through 12, say this, Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say it is true. Verse 10, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. Now, we have a group today, and they claim to be Jehovah's Witnesses, but they're not. They're not witnessing for Jehovah. In the New Testament, Jesus said, and ye shall be my witnesses. So, we're to witness in Jesus' name, because Jesus is Jehovah. But He said, ye are my witnesses, the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Make it very plain, there's not three gods, there's one God. There is a trinity, the Bible teaches very carefully. And he said, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, it said that Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Well, if He hadn't been God, it would have been a robbery. And then it says in verse 12, I have declared and have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. What's the responsibility of a witness? To faithfully tell all that he knows. Amen. Are we being good witnesses? If Yahweh alone is the true and living God who made himself known to Israel and he wills to be known to all the ends of the earth, then our mission, then our mission should contemplate no lesser goal. But what are we doing to make His name known? Is His name exalted in our homes? Is His name exalted in the far reaches of the earth? 
How can that happen when we fail to make Him known in our own home? Do we use His name in public to bless Him and acknowledge His goodness to us? Have we taken His name to work, to school, to places that we frequent? Do we, the church, carry His name beyond the safety of our sanctuaries? Have we taken His name into our community? Have we carried His name beyond the ease of the suburbs into the ethnic pockets of the inner city? Have we given a cup of water or a warm meal in His name? Do we pray for those that have borne His name and suffered for it? Do we give so others may hear His name in their language? Again, are we part of the team? Do we send so the unreached will utter His name in acknowledgement of His grace? He has a name, and we must not be satisfied until it is known in all the earth. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Preacher, you come. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight and to present this little Bible study. Lord, I pray that you bless it. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that we'd all investigate in our heart and know that we are doing what you would have us to do. And Lord, if there's something undone, if there's some, if you would have us to go further by faith, I pray that we'd be obedient to do that. So speak to hearts. We love you. We pray your name be glorified in regions beyond because of our obedience. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Preacher.